0: something that was the norm rather right. than what we find right. and so I was very blessed to to to, to be in that situation and then uh, from there on why my, uh, my dad was a traveling salesman is that and right so my mother uh, she was there all that she was in she she was mother all the time she she ran the ship she was captain
1: <laughs> right Right, I am, just so you know, Grandpa, I, am, I did hit record, so we're recording, and I just want to say that oh, this is, well, okay. that I wanted to let you know so you knew, and uh, just, um, this is Joe Swanson, and I'm speaking with my grandfather, Herbert Fremer, and uh, we're just talking about his life, and yeah, he's an inspiration to me um, as a businessman, as a father, as a husband, as, as a person, and I, and I wanted to sit down and kind of document some of the stuff that he went through in his life, and uh, where did you grow up, Grandpa?
0: Well, actually, I was born in Minneapolis on the south side, and that's where I grew up. Um, we always we lived um, in in South, south Minneapolis uh, for a period of time. Then, then there was a period that uh, my dad was transferred, and so we lived in Wadena for a period of time, and then we moved back to Minneapolis where they bought a home uh, on the south side of Minneapolis and that's where they were we were until I went into the service
1: and you went into the service at 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 an early age 18 or
0: um yeah I was a little probably 19 19 18 uh, I was 19 I think when I went into the service
1: what what year was that uh 1940 uh,
0: 1942
1: yeah yeah you went into the Marine Corps
0: well it, I, I, I signed up for uh, yes as a naval aviator and after uh, the training I had an opportunity to choose between the Navy and the Marine Corps and because the um, I was told that the that in the Marine Corps that the promotions were faster. I was told that in the Marine Corps you had an opportunity to choose the aircraft you wanted to fly. Hmm. Uh, I was told that the promotions would be faster and so when the time came, um, you also I also had to be in the upper 10% of my class in order to be to qualify so right? When the time came, I was fortunate enough to be there, and I chose the Marine Corps. Now, the truth is that the promotions were not any faster. (laughs) (laughs) And I also kept in mind that I thought it would be a lot easier to dig a foxhole in the sand than it would on a flight deck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think think you're right. uh,
0: That might have had something to do with it, but I was always kind of in Infatuated with the Marine Corps, torn a little bit because my dad had been in the Navy. But um, I I wanted to be able to pick the aircraft that I wanted. As it turned out, when it came time to um, be shipped overseas, I had been trained in a torpedo plane. And I said, no, I want to fly fighters. And the guy told me, uh, war is hell, son. You're going to fly torpedo planes. But in the process of forming a new squadron, um, they found out that they decided that they were going to put Corsairs on aircraft carriers, and they were forming a new squadron, and I had an opportunity to get into it, and that way I was able to fly fighters, which I wanted in the first place. So I was very fortunate.
1: And we're talking about an F four U Corsair. Uh, yes. This is a, a airplane that I know a little bit about. It was it was created for World War II, correct? During World yes. War II, it came out yes. and it was it was. Uh, it was
0: actually made for the Navy, but the Navy um, they they thought it was a little more difficult to land on an aircraft carrier, and so they suggested that the Marines take them because the Marines were flying off of land, but they didn't need the aircraft because it had better firepower and it had a, a higher ceiling, um, operating ceiling. And so they, the, the aircraft was great,
2: but they, so they gave it to the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps was very happy to get it. But it was after that, that they decided to try to, to put them on aircraft
1: carriers. And so did they come at first these are the if you yes, look at so a picture of them you can see that the wings will be folded up and that's what you see on an aircraft carrier back in that time now did they have fixed wings that didn't fold at first and then they adapted them for the aircraft carrier or?
0: Uh, well they adapted for the navy it was it was it was actually made for the navy in the first place so it had folding wings oh, but wow. the navy uh didn't like it <laughs>
1: They didn't it like was it. a little
0: harder to fly off sure. of an aircraft carrier, and they, so they gave it to the Marine
1: Corps. And the Marine Corps flew F4U Corsairs, Whistling Death, as they called it, uh, I have I, read, and uh, they flew that. You flew in a squadron off of aircraft carriers. What aircraft carrier yeah. were you on? As a
0: matter of fact, our, we were the first squadron to go board aircraft carriers.
1: And do you remember the name of the carrier?
0: Uh. I was on several. I think, I think the first one I was on was the White Plains, which was a a, a baby carrier. It was a cruiser that had been um, rebuilt into a small aircraft carrier. Right. And so I actually checked out on the White Plains um, in at Hawaii. And then I went from there to the, uh, let's see, did I go to the Ticonderoga? No, I went to the, Went did fly off the Ticonderoga, uh, but
1: I was went to the Essex. Oh, right, right. Next, Essex was the next one. Yeah, I, I did read that. Uh, and then the Ticonderoga, yes. That's great. Anyway, hey, what do you think was the... Then I ended up
0: on the Bennington.
1: That, that was the last, the Bennington?
0: Yeah, the Bennington was the last
1: one. What do you think was the... Why did you decide to go into the military as opposed to... I mean, were they...
0: Quite honestly, uh, I was enrolled at the University of Minnesota and working at Fairview Hospital.
2: I had decided I wanted to be a doctor, so I was in pre-med at the
0: university, and I was working at Fairview Hospital, which is right across the river, from the university and, um, I, I had to, I had to have a job to be able to afford to go to school. So it worked out pretty well. I pretty much lived right at the hospital. I slept in the library, which was on the top floor of the hospital and I had several different jobs, but one of my jobs, uh, turned out to be really. Good under under the situation I had, I, I ran the the switchboard at night uh, from from nine o'clock at night until six o'clock in the morning, and so
1: that was a um, switchboard for for the university or the hospital.
0: Oh, no, it was for the hospital. Okay. And then um, when I would get through, I'd have breakfast and then I'd just walk across the bridge to the hospital. Or to the university. Right. And, and what happened was, so over a period of time, it was it was great because I had plenty of study time at night. Very, very Once 9 o'clock came at night at the hospital, things were pretty quiet, so I had a lot of study time. But also, over that period of time, I should tell you that I worked every other night on the, on the switchboard. I didn't work every night. I worked every other night so that every other night I got
1: to sleep. <laughs> you got a decent sleep at least. You you were pre-med. So how far did you get into the university before you decided to join the, the military?
0: Yeah, but what happened was that I, got, I was just worn out. And when the Jets, um hit Pearl Harbor and they were looking, they were starting to... Uh, draft everybody i i might have been able to get a deferment because of the field i was in but i'd only been there for a few months
2: okay Uh, and i was so tired that i think i think being tired i
1: finally decided i'd rather be a hero than a doctor so i signed up (laughs) signed up for the military that's i mean that's an admiral thing to do it's um i always wondered what I I talked to my mom about, uh, you know, a little bit of your history and I didn't know that you had gone to medical school and that you chose to do something, chose to go into the military from medical school. I thought that was interesting. And, um, it's interesting to hear about, you know, going to the Navy and then you end up in the Marines and you, how many years did you fly? You flew through world war two, how long and how, you know, what, what did that all entail? actually
0: what happened was when I signed up they had a program called I don't know what they called it really but I had uh, a free flight training and so I actually had my pilot's license before I ever um, before I ever was called up for active duty wow. and uh, so I w- when I was called up for active duty I was Sent to um, Iowa. Uh, I'm trying to th- Cedar Rapids. I guess it was where we went. Uh, university Iowa Iowa State. I think it was. Anyway, that's where I got. That's where my pre-flight training really
2: took place. Mm-hmm. After I was called to active duty. Yeah, then from there, I uh, went to Minneapolis where we had actually had flight training, mm-hmm.
0: uh, and I was fortunate that I already had my pilot's license, so I knew how to fly when we got to Minneapolis, and so it was. It was, I had a lot of fun.
1: I I bet I, I know that. Uh, um, I mean, I'm sure in in some of our future talks we'll talk about your pontoon plane. You ended up flying a lot of years later, uh, continued to fly.
0: Well, yes, and probably one of the things I regret, I'm sure your dad would have also, is having to give it up.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The
0: the problem was that my hearing, probably due to the flying, uh, became so bad that it wasn't safe. To be up there flying around,
1: right? Uh, right. Without without
0: uh, some way of contact that you couldn't get into, for instance, the in Minneapolis airport. You had to have radio, mm-hmm.
2: and so um, that. But in the in the after I got
0: out of the service, I was able to get a job with Van Dusen Aircraft Supplies, and so I was flying all the time. And at that time, we weren't particularly concerned about. What the sound, what the noise might do to one's ears, right and nobody paid much attention to that. Huh. and so every day I was flying uh, I covered a um, two and a half state territory, sometimes three states um, by
1: air, and I was gone five days, six days a week. Wow, and flying calling on airports. so I covered South Dakota. Nebraska, southern Minnesota. I sometimes get a little bit into Colorado, and, <laughs> so I wow. I was I was flying a lot, and it it took it. It actually I think is what caused my my hearing loss. Right, and, it's, and of course it's gotten worse over the years. Sure, sure. I know that uh, um, one of the I'm gonna it, it, I'll try to make this available. I would love to make this available with your permission, but your poem, one of the poems that you wrote during uh, World War II, I believe it was written there, was um, a poem about a mission that you guys flew where you were the only one to return. And I I read it the other day, and I was pretty moved by it. Um, And can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, some of the... Well,
0: I sure can. Uh, You should have, you should have... Um, a book.
1: I do. I have that. That's what I read. I have
0: all the stuff. A lot of the stuff I wrote.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I and I read it's it. In there. I read uh, so, it. But there's a lot of a lot of my history in there. It's a great. It's wonderful. I I am so appreciative to have that book. Uh, I did find it in that book, and I read it to Natalie. But um, talk a little bit about that story because that really I cannot imagine going through what you guys went through. And in, and in, in what a lot of you know people go through during w- war, but talk about that a little bit if you, if you don't mind.
0: Well, I don't, Joe. I don't mind at all. You keep in mind that when you're 19 years old, 20 years old, um, and you're in a situation like that, um, you, you're, you you don't worry like you would if you were 35 or 40 mm-hmm. or, or older and so it's it's it uh, uh i i had a roommate while i was on the essex that was a navy uh lieutenant and every day when he got out sh- he was sure that that would be his last flight he was going to get killed that day and and i had a terrible time trying to get Get him to think positively because he was so sure. In fact, he was so sure that he had written a letter to his parents and a letter to his girlfriend uh, for me to be sure and mail if something happened to him. Uh, and is... it, 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 he, but he was a little older, but scared to death
1: every time he went out. Wow. That's a, that, would be ter- that would be terrible. That would be terrible. That's just so heavy. I mean, to, to have that thought all the time and I'm not sure what, you you know, I'd love to hear what your mindset was, how you thought about it. But uh, during this poem, and I'm going to try to post this poem somewhere, but uh, maybe on my website uh, with, and essentially there was a a number of you that went out uh, on a mission and, and during the course of that mission, all your other, uh, all the other pilots and all the other fighters were shot down. Correct?
0: Have you, uh, yes, have you, I thought, I th- maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't, but I wrote a,
1: I was asked to write some articles for a book. Yes. And the, the book was printed, and I. Uh, I know we weren't too happy about that, the, some some aspects about well, that.
0: Well, I, mean, I wasn't happy because the the guy that was involved also with the book had, had asked me to write the, write the articles. But after I wrote the articles, he changed them.
1: Yeah, that's what I understand, and too. So
0: He didn't ask me if he could change them. And I didn't know that there had been any changes until I started reading the book. Right, right. And so it so happens that the guy was a, a replacement for, for one of the... For one of the fellows that was shot down on that when when my other the other three guys in our in my flight were shot down, and so he was a replacement, and he actually flew on my wing and so uh I was very unhappy when I saw what he had done yeah that's and i to the, to this day don't know why
1: yeah, it's unfortunate that that happens that those those bits of history get uh, altered or you know, changed a little bit, but, uh, in your words, tell us a little bit of, tell me, I mean, I've always been curious cause I, I can't, like I said, I, it, it's hard for me to imagine going through something like that at such a young age and how it affected you and how you came through that. Well, it says something about your character, I think. Well,
0: it, it, it's called self survival. is what it is. <laughs> um, it, uh, by that time, I was used to it. it. It so happened that that time, it so happened that three out of the four was, were shot down. Uh, but there were other times where there might be only one shot down or, or some other guys in the squadron on another flight might have been shot down. So we were used to losing people, right. but it right. just... Uh, it, it was. It came with the territory, I guess.
1: Do, do you think that writing, like writing that poem and, and things helped, helped that, helped you with that, like dealing with those kind of things as like a, kind of an outlet, writing poetry or writing letters? Actually, it was a... Therapeutic?
0: In my lifetime, I, I sometimes could express myself better um, by doing it that way than I could any other way so mm-hmm. uh, something happened it was easier for me to do it that way right. remember it I
1: guess yeah I don't know well I find I it's, find that it's it's something that I've been looking at more is writing more writing as a creative process to to learn and to um do that I just it was interesting to me to to find out if that's because you've always been a creative person as as you know I am with my art and where did that come from do you think
0: it's uh i, I joy i don't know um uh, it's just something that we are given gifts you? and you know as well as i and that we're we're given gifts and sometimes um we do sometimes we overlook a lot of the gifts that we have and don't develop them mhm we all have them, but some have more of a, uh, of a particular gift than another one might have. But they're, they are, it is a gift if you, if you, if you and, and you, all of us have them. But unfortunately, we don't use them for a lot of the time.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you uh, think?
0: You have, a, you have a particular talent in, in art. You're a great artist, uh, you, you, and you can express yourself with watercolor, or you can mm-hmm. express yourself with oil. You can express yourself with a tattoo gun, I mean, with a needle. Yep. And, and so, but, but it is a gift because I, I know I know what you can do that way, but tell me, can Rob paint a picture?
1: No, but he is uh he, he's good on the phone getting a deal done I'll t- or, or in front of somebody. He's a great salesman. I think he has that same thing that you and I and uh both have, and that's the ability to make something happen you know just with our talent and with our uh you know uh, it's kind of uh, you hustle, you have to hustle, and it looks you know, and I think that we have that and you couple that with... Well,
0: um, the point I'm making is that I'll bet you that if Rob sat down to paint a picture, and you sat down to paint a picture, your picture would probably be a better picture than his. I guarantee it. If they were going to be judged by somebody.
1: I guarantee it would be. Well, I don't know. I can't say I guarantee it, but <laughs> yes, his but fine but art art is very subjective. I yes, I'd absolutely it's, do. It's
0: something that, that you have. It's a gift that you're given. Yes. And, you have continued to develop it, uh, and you're using it. Right. And you're you. So far, is now I don't know how your how your sales of your little discs are with for watercolor training. Yeah. But I hope that they're I hope that they're selling. But it's something that you can you can put a, you're good enough to put
1: it on a disc and to teach teach somebody else. Right. Something right. Something about it. You see. Yeah. Well, for those of you who may not know that are listening to this, that's my grandfather's talking about Rob Swanson uh, at uh, reieducationproducts.com. dot com. That's him. That's my brother and uh, myself. And I have a uh, instructional DVD on water coloring, uh, tattoo style, watercoloring, And that's um, available through some tattoo supply companies like Kingpin Tattoo. But how do you think um, did you know that you always could write, Grandpa? I I knew from a young age that I could draw. Did you know from a young age that you could write or that was a creative no, gift? Oh, no, and
0: I don't I still don't consider myself much of a writer, but I, I but I do um, if, if a thought comes or something comes to me, I I just just do it that's all. I I'm sorry. I'm really sorry that I didn't spend a lot more effort while I was in school, um, taking writing courses, that sort of thing, right? Uh, I, I could have, I could have applied myself a lot more, but uh, my interest wasn't there. That isn't where my interest was. And
1: where was, was your interest? It's
0: like, it's like music. Um, while I was going to school, um, I played the clarinet. Uh huh. The day that I graduated from high school, I sold the clarinet, (laughs) and and I never picked it up again until one day at the unusual place in Eveleth, when we were running the store, somebody brought in a clarinet for me to sell for them, and I thought, well, you know, it's been, been many, many years, but I used to be able to play one of these things, so I went out and I bought some reeds for it. And to be perfectly honest, there was not a thing wrong with the clarinet, <laughs> but I couldn't do a thing with it. <laughs> so, so had, now I wished,
1: I wish that I kept it up, yeah, but it didn't. And so if you don't use it, you lose it. And yeah. That is a,
0: that is a truth for sure.
1: Yeah. I think that, uh, that, that absolutely is. I'm, I'm, uh. You know, I think that you do do have a, a, an incredible talent. I love to read your, your poems, and, and uh, I think you, you're great. I, I, I've always enjoyed talking to you about whatever it was from day-to-day stuff. Or, but I think that you're, you have a wonderful um, uh, speak. You know, you're good at speaking. I know you've done a lot of preaching and, and sermons and, and speeches over the years, um, and that takes, that takes talent as well.
0: Well, I don't know that it takes so much talent as, or,
1: or some courage it just, it, it just to have a, a determination
0: that there's something that you'd like to say. and I must admit that I wished I always wish I could do it better. I, while I was at I, I told all of our children and I've told all of our great grandchildren and and I hope I've told you that when you were in school while you were going to school to take all of the public speaking courses that you possibly could. Because right. there there's some things that make a difference. In high school I lettered in football and I lettered in swimming. Well, I was that was stupid. I should have what I should have been going out for was golf. The swimming was fine. But I'd have been
1: a lot better off if I'd have gone out for golf and tennis. Yeah. you see things things that, things <laughs> that you what, can
0: it's what comes later how you can use it that right. makes right. a difference yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely
0: <laughs> and I'm sure that you're probably finding that also um, i the, the art classes that I had the art training that I took I didn't take it as seriously as I should have right um, because I could
2: I could not see myself as having that kind of talent hmm. um, I wish
0: now that I had paid more attention the of, what, what
1: what were your interests back then in high school
0: actually I think my interest was more in chemistry uh, in uh, I, I liked the shop work I, did, I hated printing I had a I had to take a printing course, and I didn't like that at all. Um, and but I think um, I, I think the chemistry and the
1: biology; uh, those are the things that I like the best. Yeah, yeah. Math right. was okay. Right, <laughs> right. So. Um... How how uh, how long do you want to talk for, Grandpa? And how long do you think? Uh, what do you have going on over there? What's your schedule like today? I'm sorry. How, how long do you want to talk? How, how, how is your oh. schedule uh, doing today? I don't want to keep you from something.
0: Just I tell you what, it doesn't make any difference. I have, I have nothing but, uh, but. Sometime, if you if you get a chance, make a list of questions that you're thinking
1: about, and I'll try to have
0: better answers for you.
1: Oh, you have great answers. All, all I really, all the all uh, that I'm interested in is just talking about your life and just having a conversation, um, just like any day. It's it's interest. Like I said, mostly interesting to me because. Um you seem to have been very entrepreneurial your whole life and kind of did things on your own terms, it seems. I don't know if that's really true, but but is that something that you always kind of did? Was You didn't see yourself in a 9-to-5 job? or? Actually, you see, I started out thinking I was going to be a doctor,
0: and then I ended up in the aircraft business, and when that happened, I knew that, I knew that, that I wasn't. I didn't want to be a traveling salesman, and so that I, I wanted to get into some kind of a business. And quite honestly, I have found that my my real talent, if there is any, is
2: in is in putting a business together and getting it started. Mm-hmm. Once I get them started and operating, and they're going good, then I'm eager to start something else. I think I like. I like putting something together. Yeah. Uh, getting
0: it going, having a dream about it, and I'm very disgusted with myself because I had two, two things that I should have done, and I could have done, and I think they would have both worked out real well. One of them did work out real well. It's just that I didn't follow through and do it. Uh, one of them, you'll find now these. Uh, storage units all over that people rent
2: mm-hmm.
0: multiple storage uh, 50 years ago <laughs> I had a plan for that and it was what I was going to do I worked up a whole I worked up the whole plan uh, a whole program for doing it for look for location the other thing that I thought would work and, and it, it wouldn't anymore but it would have at the time. It used to be that there was a gas station on almost every corner, but where you found a gas station, they were small. They were on a corner most of the time. Right. You, we didn't have at that time. We didn't have um, little grocery stores attached to them or convenience stores. It was just a service station. Right. And I, and as I, as we were get, as I got into the oil business, I could see that that little service station. Was going to be a thing of the past, and that those but those corner properties would be that would be very good for for a lot of different things. So I I designed um, a portable portable to the extent that it would be permanent when it was put in place, Mm -hmm. but it was a a donut shop. Wow! actually donut shop made uh, like a like a oh, like a more like a house trailer in, in that that kind of a of a form but the whole thing could be picked up and sat down on one of those little corner lots hooked up to the sewer and you're you have a going business
1: yeah That's... And, and
0: so I I worked up the plans and I had even got the recipes and the,
2: all the information and all the equipment, and and I was actually going to
0: was looking for somebody to make those units because I thought it could be a franchised business.
1: And at the time, I think it, I think it would have gone had I done something I, like that. I think so too. Funny enough, in two thousand and twelve, as we're speaking one of the biggest raves out here in California are those portable it's essentially a th- they've taken we have a lot of taco trucks so a lot of mexican you buy br- mexican food by burritos tacos those things out here well people are taking that to the next level and doing high end restaurants out of a ta- uh, out of a, a portable truck and that's all the rave out here in Napa and and around in the bay area are high end restaurants that are portable so you have Did
0: you ever did you ever see my, uh, motor home that was, a uh, um, made into a, well, we had it, we had it at the unusual place and I got it for serving food so that as we had auctions, we'd have food available at the auctions. We would, and we had, uh, I had a cotton candy machine and a uh, popcorn and, and we could have hamburgers and hot dogs, and that sort of thing. The the,
1: yeah. the unusual place was a, a business uh, uh, auction and antique business in Eveleth, Minnesota. Is that correct? Au, uh, uh, auction yes, and yeah. antique.
0: But we but but I had this uh, motor home that was made into a, a food concession thing, <laughs> so that whenever we did have an auction,
1: someplace we could take take that and and we used it. And that made way. made more money uh, selling Did the you food never as well. See it? No, I don't remember it. I do remember having popcorn in the unusual place, and and uh, um, I maybe saw the the cotton candy machine, but I do remember popcorn. I do remember <laughs> having that when we'd come to visit. Well,
0: I don't remember who I sold that to, but somebody is it. Um, somebody bought it, and they go around to these um, weekend sales that. They have in different towns, mm-hmm. and they could go around with it, and they—that's what they used it for.
1: Do you, what did what? Were, what do you think were the main things you looked at in a business that made you want to start it, or or what? And as you develop that plan, what did you? How did you develop well, it?
0: Well, the first thing I would think about was what? Is, what is it? What? What is the market? What is it that the? That is, what is lacking here where what is it that somebody could put here that is uh, a little different or or the, something that's needed perhaps in an area uh, the reason that the reason I got into the unusual place was because people needed help getting rid of stuff um, somebody would die and there'd be a whole house full of Stuff they had to get rid of, uh, or or they would be uh, moving and they'd have all the stuff that they didn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's really um, I started that business because I thought I saw
1: an, a need for people needing to have help getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason for that. That's uh, so. He- it
0: turned out, it turned out to be a very good business. And what. I wanted to do was franchise that and have that kind of an operation in different places with with uh, warehouses where we could go out and buy an
1: entire estate or sell an entire estate. Mm-hmm. And now Jerry is doing that. That's great. That's great. Yeah. That's uh, um, amazing to hear the these stories, Grandpa. And I, I really appreciate you talking to me about it and i hope that maybe on a little bit of a regular occasion that we can sit down and chat good
0: good joe well anyway it was good making the contacts and whenever you whenever you uh, want to uh, just give me a call okay
1: great i will do that grandpa i love you very much and i will uh i'll talk to you soon and I, and, and i'm looking
0: forward one day to meeting natalie
1: Yes, indeed. I think that will uh, be great. All right, bye bye. Nice. Well, that was my uh, grandfather Herb uh, Herbert Fremer. Um, I was speaking to him. Uh, he is in Minnesota. Um, again, an incredible man that I uh, love dearly, and um, hopefully uh, we can continue these talks. But that was uh, uh, Herbert Fremer talking with uh, Joe Swanson. We will talk to you again next time. How are you doing, Grandpa?
0: Well, actually, I'm doing pretty good. Um,
1: Yeah, what do you have going on? I'm
0: sleeping. Um, I've tried everything, but unfortunately, uh, since, since I have no shoulders, or at least have no connection in the shoulders, I don't have any joints there. Whenever I move at night, what, I get a sharp pain in my shoulder if I move in just the right way. So it wakens me, and so um, my big problem is getting enough sleep because uh, I keep I I keep waking myself up every time oh. I move because right. of my shoulder. And there's, there's nothing can be done about it. So it's just something I have to put up with. That's all. Well, so uh, I I. I um inquired about additional surgery. They took additional X-ray pictures to see if there's any possibility, but the bone structure is so damaged that there's no place to connect any kind of a cup. So what I have are two steel balls on the end of the upper arm bone and it hits whatever it hits. <laughs> And unfortunately, sometimes it's a nerve that it hits. Ouch! And so it's just kind of a problem that I have to live with. That's all.
1: Well, that's a good. That's a good attitude to to have about it. You can't really do much other than that, right?
0: Well, you can There's some things, Joe, that we run into that, although we don't like them, there's if there's nothing can be done. Uh, we better to accept that pretty quick or, or we're gonna be an awful miserable person
1: that's right well grandpa this is uh the I call my podcast the Joe Swanson propaganda podcast and uh trying to propagate some positivity out there to the world uh, you know I had a I've been thinking about it and I had a question for you you flew. Uh, planes, F4U Corsairs off of aircraft carriers in World War II. So you were, you were around the military for a number of years. D- do you recall uh, any of your buddies getting tattoos or seeing tattoos over where you were at at, at all in your military service?
0: No. Uh, as a matter of fact, there wasn't anybody in our squadron that had any
1: tattoos. Really? that's uh, That's pretty crazy. So why do you think that was? None of.
0: Well, Joe, first of all, it was kind of frowned upon, except for the Navy. Uh, the Navy itself, the, a sailor, uh, get off of a ship. they like to get it, so they'd get, them in, they'd get them in different ports. They'd get them in San Francisco. They'd get them in New York. But it was something that was a sailor thing, but it was not, it was not a Marine thing. At that time, since then, of course, it's changed. Uh, now, uh, in the uh, even in the Marines, uh, they really frown on they really frown on tattoos, and, and they, in fact, um, if you want to enlist in the Marines and you have uh, an arm that's got a lot of tattoo on, they won't let you, they won't enlist you.
2: Yeah,
1: they have become really really strict on it. I, I know. When I started tattooing about 17 years ago, it was six blocks down from uh, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey. And I'll tell you what, their payday was our payday. It didn't matter. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, they're all housed there learning languages. And they would come down to the shop and it w- it would be flooded. It was. This was around the mid-90s. And uh-huh. so... Uh, do you remember seeing those guys, the Navy guys? Because you were on aircraft carriers. D- do you remember seeing them coming back with those, or or those tattoos, or talking about them at all? Or did you no. guys?
0: Um, no. As a matter of fact, I never, I never. We, ne- we never talked about it. Um, the, the guys that I was with never had any or got one, um, and so there was no. <laughs> No conversation at all about it It wasn't, it wasn't even thought about.
1: Right? Have you uh, subsequently, as you ended up out of the military, did did you ever have any connection with tattoos uh, until I became a tattooer, or or did you ever see them or think about them? Uh, no. Ever ever thought about getting one?
0: <laughs> no, never did. You want one? <laughs> <laughs> as a matter of fact, no, I. I have wondered sometimes. It's an art form that I understand, and it's a it's a um, it's a, it's an art form. And, but I I think I prefer my art in a picture or or some other way. So I I wouldn't I would never get one myself. Uh, and yet um, I know, most of the people I know have one of some kind, maybe just a little one, maybe it's a good size one, the guys I play pool with every day, every of them, uh, well, maybe not all of them, but most of them have some kind of a tattoo someplace.
1: What uh, were these things that uh, they got, were these tattoos that they got a long time ago? They
0: got them when they were in the Navy or the Army, something like that, that's when they got them.
1: Do you remember which one? But it
0: was it was Vietnam or uh, North Korea or Vietnam time that uh, that they did. But they did, they're not they're not very big. Um, it might be just uh, might be just a, a word or two that they would have, and you very seldom see them. Right, uh, but. Uh, And tattooing has become very big in a lot of places now. There's a a tattoo shop in Evelyn, and there's a tattoo shop in Virginia. Uh, And I can't imagine where they're getting all their business, but maybe it's because (laughs) I'm not inclined toward wanting one myself, maybe.
1: Yeah, you know, I think like where my shop is in Vacaville... You know, I have a a university about 10 minutes away. I have a junior college about 10 minutes away, an Air Force base about 10 minutes away. So you have, I've positioned myself in in amongst those things because you have constant flow of clientele coming in based on the military, based on, uh, it's an Air Force base out here, Travis Air Force Base near, in in Fairfield, California. Uh, So strategically, I I place my shop around those things.
0: Actually, that's certainly uh, your position for that business. Sounds to me like it's an ideal position because that's that's where your market really is, I believe, in that age group.
1: Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is I have tattooed folks from you know as young as eighteen, and. Up to I think the oldest person I tattooed was in their early eighties. and he was a gentleman that was he had been married a lot of years, and his wife, Carolyn was in the hospital and she had Alzheimer's. And one of the things that uh, he had had a eagle that he had gotten on his hand uh, during the time that he was in the military. And he had gotten it removed because she she never liked it. She she kept giving him hell about it, uh, and so when she got Alzheimer's, the one thing that she always remembered, she she would hold his hand and she would kind of stroke his hand and say, "Where is it? Where is it?" And it was the one thing that she remembered, the tattoo. And so he came in and and we put a an eagle and a and a carolyn in a banner on his hand, and you know, he was kind of gruff about it and. And, you know, oh, yeah, I'll have to do this for my for my wife. She, she, this is all she remembers. And but you could tell inside he was a sweetheart of a guy. He was doing it because he loved her so much that he was getting this back on because it was the one thing that she remembered of him. And it was special to him to have that connection with her. So,
0: well, and isn't it wonderful that she had that much memory? Yes. <laughs> she she forgot that she, she forgot that it wasn't there anymore.
1: Right, exactly, so it's neat the the connection that you can get with it and and um you know, speaking of business, grandpa, this is one thing that I've always been curious with you is you've had a lot of different businesses over the course of your life. how did you did- How did you decide, and we talked about this a little bit the last time we spoke, but how did you decide what business to get into and and tell me what you did maybe right after you got out of the military.
0: Well, the, the way I got into the different businesses I did was because there, there was an opportunity that opened up, and, and I took advantage of it. Uh, for instance, when I got out of the service, I'd been working, um, I had worked at the hospital, but... I was also then at that time going to the university thinking I was going to be a doctor.
1: And this was but what then, year? But
0: then, then when, I, when I joined the service, I knew that that wasn't going to happen, so I got a job with a Buick distributor in Minneapolis while I was waiting to be called. Uh, it paid three times as much as I was making at the hospital. Wow. And so I just had that job. And I knew I had that job when I came back. And when I came back, I came back. I was service representative at this Buick place. But it wasn't where my heart was. My heart was in aviation. And so when I heard about, uh, when I learned about a company called Van Dusen Aircraft Supplies, I... Um, I inquired if, they, if there was any work available through them. Well, I found out what they did was they—they're just—they were like a warehouse that supplied different airport operators with um, nuts and bolts and propellers and fabrics and the different things that were needed for an airplane.
1: And this was it what year, was, Grandpa? What what year was this?
0: 1946.
1: 1946. And and, and uh, so they supplied aircraft materials and things like that, and you were a sales representative for them?
0: And so, yes. I, I, they they hired me as a sales representative, and I had three and a half states that I covered by air. I flew a little Taylorcraft Craft airplane, and it had no radio, uh, and I just would go from airport to airport in southern Minnesota, South Dakota, uh, Iowa. Uh, sometimes i get into a little bit of Colorado. Uh, South Dakota was, of course, yeah, in Iowa and Minnesota. Those are That was my territory. So, when- so, so once a month, I'd drop in at every airport on the, in in one of those one of those states, so I'd be gone all day long, or a week at a time, just going from airport to airport.
1: Wow! And so, did you fly your own that little plane that you had? Was that a was that a company provided plane, or was that your plane it that you? Was a, it was a
0: company provided plane, yes. And finally, they upgraded and got Cessna. So, uh, in nineteen forty seven. Um, they got Cessnas, and so uh, I flew that Taylor craft. It was a little two-place side by side. I flew it to New York. I flew it to Kansas City, and the, and a vice president of the company uh, was going to go to, was going to New York. So I had him as a passenger. And I stopped in Kansas City at the Cessna factory and picked up a new Cessna. And so I flew him then to Teterboro Airport in New York and then flew from New York back to
1: Minneapolis. Wow. So it was just uh, when you got into New York, that was in 1947. Did yeah. you get Did you get out of the plane or did you just drop him off and, and or did you spend any time there in New York?
0: No. No, I spent no time there at all. I just refueled. As a matter of fact, um, <laughs> it was kind of a long day because we'd left early from someplace in Indiana, I think, where we'd stayed overnight. And then I got into Teterboro, uh, refueled the airplane, dropped him off, and headed home. And I got back to Minneapolis at 2 o'clock in the morning.
1: Wow. So was... it was a
0: kind of a long day.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it. So, how long did you work for that company?
0: Uh, two and a half years.
1: Yeah. What, what was the? Lo- what was
0: the, the, the? There was there was an uh, another guy that had re- had uh, been in the army. He was uh, in the army Air Corps. He uh, and he he had been a salesman prior to being called into the service, and, but he traveled by car, calling on airports. And so when he got back out of the service, he had to learn to fly, and his territory was uh, North Dakota, Wisconsin, and northern Minnesota.
2: Hmm.
0: And, and so um, there were just two of us that were covering those states for vendors and
1: aircraft supplies interesting what was it like back then in in 1947 what was the the war was just over and, and what was the kind of the culture of america at that point
0: People, well one of the, the things that was interesting was that cars were tight it was hard to get a car and if you did get one there were price controls but uh, <laughs> You, it, it was rent controls and price controls. But in order to get them, you had to kind of slip somebody a little extra money someplace along the line, or you didn't get it in a lot of cases. Um,
1: and what was the the was that because they weren't manufacturing as many? Because well,
0: yes, you remember that. Uh, maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't remember, but you you would know through history that when the when war was declared against England and Japan uh, all of the all of the automobile manufacturing switched over to manufacturing of some kind of a military equipment now it might have been a car maker might have started making jeeps for instance or a car maker might start making gas masks. Uh, car maker might start making almost anything, but uh, it was all military oriented. Almost all 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 business, all manufacturing. They didn't make washing machines. They made something for the military instead.
1: So, how long after how long after the the war was over did? did things ramp back up where there wasn't that rent control and the, and the vehicle, you know, the control on vehicles you know, and the things rent like that.
0: control remained and vehicle, uh, the, the, there was no, nothing against vehicles. You could get them if you could get them, but it's trying to get one. They could only put a, There were only so, only so many of them made. And so there was, of course, quite a demand.
2: And so, it was just hard to get a car. In fact, I couldn't. I wanted to
0: buy a Chevrolet, for instance. And I couldn't. I finally ended up um, Willis' night. Um, well, there wasn't even Willis. I was trying to think of who it was. Kaiser. Kaiser, who had been in the ship business, started building... Um, started building automobiles
1: K- Kaiser the, like the hospital Kaiser like the hospital that company
0: Kaiser no, Kaiser was a, a company that built ships huh. and uh, and they they didn't need ships anymore so they started building automobiles and they, they built two models a Kaiser and a Fraser and I wanted to buy I wanted to buy a Chevrolet but you couldn't get one or a Buick or any of those, you, any of those cars you couldn't get. But uh, I finally was able to buy a, 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 a Kaiser, and so uh, it was a kind of an interesting car. Um, they didn't last very long, and and
1: Kaiser, uh, Kaiser also made Jeeps, and so they. Uh, I don't know how Chrysler got involved in the cheap business. I think they probably bought out Kaiser Fraser. Right. And then phased
0: out the Kaiser Fraser cars.
1: Now, if you. If, I bet you've
0: never seen a Kaiser or a Fraser.
1: No, I'll have to look that up and see if there's anything on the internet, maybe some pictures. Uh, so, if you had wanted to get a Chevrolet or a Buick at that time, 1947, how much would you have had to pad somebody's pockets with to get? A car. You said you might have had to slip somebody a little extra. How much do you think that would have been? You slip them a 20 oh, at that time?
2: Before,
0: or it just just before. Just before the war, just before they cut the production, you could buy a really good Buick for $1,100.
1: Holy mackerel.
0: You could buy a uh, Packard. Uh, you could buy... Uh, uh, high-end cars for twelve to fifteen hundred dollars was an exorbitant price. Wow! Uh, I, at one point, I went and picked up a, car, uh, a four-door sedan Ford for a
1: guy, um, and I think the price was nine hundred dollars, <laughs> something like that. So but, you must.
2: So, but uh, when I came back, also
0: course I had no place to live and so we moved into my folks basement and so in the process of, while I was trying to figure a way to get someplace to live for us and at the time we had Bobby had been born and so Gina and I and Bobby lived in the basement of my folks place and I ended up buying a house I had saved a little money while I was in the service and I think, uh, I think I had probably eight nine hundred dollars. But anyway, I bought a house for um, twenty three hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Four bedroom. Did
1: you did you put a uh, down payment? I, now I heard a story this morning.
0: I, yeah, I made a down I made a down payment of. Oh, $400, something like
1: that. The, my uh, sister-in-law was telling me a story this morning of her grandmother. who My, my mother-in-law had just, just found a receipt for the down payment on her first house. The down payment she paid was $11. Yeah, well,
0: that's, <laughs> that, that wasn't unusual. Shoot, I can remember um, while I was living on the 43rd and the 2nd, they built a really nice house across the street from us and the, the we were astounded at the price it cost $5,000
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's so buy, i see you bought
0: my my first car that i bought cost $35 <laughs> it was used
1: what was that kind of, what was that car
0: it was a willis knight that's where i got the uh, <laughs> it was a 1930
2: Oh, 32, something like
0: that, Willis Knight. And it, it was interesting in that the starter was on the horn button. You <laughs> pushed the button and it horn honked. If you pulled the button up, it was the starter.
1: Pull to start. Now, they have vehicles now where you push to start, and as long as you have the little key fob in your pocket... Maybe so. So that car company was preempting the push start. Nowadays, <laughs> they had a pull start.
0: Well, when I bought the Fraser, it was eleven hundred dollars that I paid for that. Wow! And it was a pretty nice looking car.
1: What color was it? Maroon. Maroon.
0: A- it was pretty much the same color as the car I have now. Um, <laughs> it was a yeah, you know, kind of a maroon color. And it had a visor on it, and it was, they, it had a nice, uh, streamlined style. Um, you, you, if I, I'll look for a picture, see if I can find a picture, and if I can, well, I'll see that you get it. But it was a, it was a pretty good car. for.
1: Not, it sounds <laughs> neat, I for- had
0: it. I traded it in, in 19, let's see. I think in 1950 or 51 1950 I traded it in on a Dodge. Okay. And, uh, on the new Dodge. And so
1: That's great. <laughs> now that you were still in Minneapolis at that at that time?
0: Yeah, I was still in Minneapolis.
1: And and, and uh while you're in Minneapolis this was after you worked for or this this was while you were working for the sales Company. Uh, No, uh,
0: it was after in 1947, late in 1947. I left the the aircraft business, uh, December, late December, something like that. And uh, the the other fellow that had the other territory also left, and we became partners in a service station on a belt line in Excelsior Boulevard in Minneapolis. We wanted to get into the oil business and so we bought the service station and I I borrowed three thousand dollars from my grandfather and uh, he borrowed no, with this three thousand or six thousand. Six thousand I guess it was. And he borrowed six thousand and so we bought this business and uh, we had it until 1951. We sold the business and then moved to Virginia, yeah. To, to where we started, where we bought a, a closed um, Shell Oil distributorship.
1: Nice. When I uh, in my tattoo shop, I have two vintage couch or a vintage couch and a vintage chair that apparent that allegedly the story is they came from a filling station, uh, down in the South. They're in great condition, but one thing I recall, even growing up in Minnesota, uh, the filling station used to be like the coffee shop. The filling station was where everybody came and hung out and they had couches and you, you, you BS a little bit and you filled up your tank. And, and it seems to me that that has been replaced now, uh, with, with, you know, coffee shops in different places like that. But was that, how it was at the well, filling there, station for you?
0: Things, Joe, things have changed dramatically. Number one, at the time we went into the business, there were still service stations that had outhouses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now that what that was, that, there weren't too many of them, but there were some in some of the rural towns, the service stations that had outhouses around Lake Mollacks, especially they had, they had them. I, I remember. And, uh, uh, a service station was a service station, and when you came in, there was somebody would would be at the at your car in a minute at the at the pump, and there and uh, there would be under your hood in a minute checking your oil, uh, and if you watch, looking at your tires to make sure that nothing was obviously low. Because they were, it was a service station, and in and and, and the business that we had, we were on a highway. I think it might have been a little different in some of the smaller towns, but we were on a main highway, and there wasn't much hanging around. Uh, we had two bays, and I did tune-up work, uh, so one bay I usually had full... With tune-up work that I was doing, we didn't do overhauls or anything like that, but I did do tune-ups. Tune-ups.
1: Well, that's that's great. So you had that for two years, and then you moved up to uh, Virginia, north Northern Minnesota, and and got involved with Shell.
0: Well, yes, that's yes, that was a Shell distributorship, and and the distributorship meant that you would have some big tanks someplace that you stored your product in and you would have a truck that you would take the product and deliver it to different to the service stations that would uh, get the product from you and normally those service stations were were properties that were leased and so you were dealing with an independent operator but he would have to use your product so we had we only had uh, three stations. One of them being the where we had our office on the corner of, of main street in Virginia, and it was just a little tiny cubby hole of a place. Only had uh, one bay and a little tiny office. Uh, the The lot was probably only twenty five feet. <laughs> if you can oh, wow. imagine. And so,
1: what was the what was the price of fuel now out here in California? We got we're at a four and a half bucks about for gas, maybe a little even more. What what was um, price? Do you remember what the price of a gallon of gas was back then?
0: Yeah, about seventeen cents.
1: You could fill you could fill up a lot with that nowadays.
0: (laughs) And seventeen and that seventeen cents included the gas tax. Uh, maybe it was a little more than that. Maybe twenty-five cents. It was a seventeen cents was was fuel oil, as I recall, and maybe it was around twenty-five cents for gas. But that included the sales or the, the state tax, and um, and the operator made about three cents a gallon on it.
1: Wow, different different times back then. It's yeah. interesting. You know, tattooing has a lot of history and a lot of uh, rich history with the people that were involved with it way back in, the, in that time. And, and uh, it's the it's same. I think it's the same no matter where, what industry you're in. You know, the fuel industry, it, it has a certain amount of history. And uh, the, the air, airline industry, I bet that has changed from when you were a distributor flying around from state to state to now... With the with the internet and with everything going on, everything has changed so much. Oh, Even in absolutely. the
0: last, absolutely, is such a drastic change, and it's very difficult for somebody like myself, uh, who's ninety years old. And when I I, 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 I recall many times we had a little grocery store in our block. Now the the, the grocery store. Was really just a house that they took the front half of and made a store out of it, and they lived in the back half half of it. But it was a neighborhood store, and what people bought there, for the most part, would be milk and bread and eggs and the things that uh, that very often you find now in a at the at the gas station. It was. Uh, like almost like a convenience store but they had canned goods and they they didn't have meats um, they didn't have freezers um, although oh, they did have ice cream freezers places that they could keep ice cream but they didn't have anything so that they could uh, do meats and, and what we had then was meat markets where all they had was meat
1: and so, so this this family, this neighborhood family, just just like you, saw a need, and said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna move to the back half of the house and open this front half up as a grocery store. They saw a need, they met it, and that's how things were back then. It seems.
0: And think of it this way: if you wanted to have a tattoo business, then you just open your tattoo shop in the front and live in the back. You see.
1: There was no. There was no.
0: All, 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 almost that. Almost what we did at Eveleth when I had the unused place, we <laughs> I made the upstairs, which had been used for display, I made a portion of the upstairs into living quarters.
1: I remember staying there.
0: <laughs> so, so we still had the store, but we had living quarters there, and and uh, as a result, it. Saved us a lot of money.
1: Yeah. Now, what an amazing place that was, for you know those of you that are listening, that maybe that will listen to this, that are in Minnesota, you may remember the unusual place, a big blue building uh, next to a lot that has the largest uh, hockey stick. Is yeah, is that still there?
0: It's still there.
1: The Hockey Hall of Fame is in in Eveleth, uh, Minnesota. Yes. It is. Yeah. How did you get into the? How did you get into the? Because the unusual place was was an antique business, and I think you guys did pro, probate sales and auctioning things like that. Now, my uncle Jerry, he got into auctioning. Is that how it all took place? Or
0: well, what happened was that I built the the um, place up on the corner, the uh, North Country Traders and at the time um every once in a while we get too much stuff and have to get rid of it so we would hire an auctioneer and i didn't uh i found that the i was very dissatisfied with the auctioneers so i went and got an auctioneer's license myself so that i could do the auctioning right. and so that after i sold the place um I, the only auctions I did were for churches and charities and that sort of thing, but but I had this building in Ewellth that I had loaned a fellow some money, and he had given me this building as collateral. And when when it during the period of time that I had it, he his wife divorced him and he had to he'd quit paying the taxes on the building and so i ended up with the building and i had to pay the back taxes and so i had this building in evleth that was just sitting there empty and i just figured that it, i had to do something with it right and so i i decided people needed help getting rid of stuff and that we would open a consignment store and where people would bring us things that they wanted to sell. And we'd, we would display it and take a commission of what was sold. Right. And so that's how that started.
1: That's great. I and remember.
0: While I was there, uh, I did that if we had anything very long, why we would have an auction to get rid of it. So I bought folding chairs and set it all up so we could have in-store auctions. And I sent Jerry... To auctioneer school, and so he went to school and became an auctioneer, and we each had a license. And so that uh, if, if we came to an estate someplace where uh, people had stuff they wanted to sell, well, we'd go out and auction it off. And so that's how we got into that.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. It's uh, yeah, I remember being in that in that store. You know, all the cool things. Now, I wish I could go back. Knowing what I know now, I wish I could go back to that store. And I'm sure you had some awesome stuff that would look great in my tattoo shop.
0: (laughs) Well, Joel, it was was an interesting place. And the interesting part of it is that today, uh, in this apartment building where I'm living, there are people that bought some of the furniture. And it's that same furniture is in this building.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing.
0: And I, I have people coming up to me often and saying that they wish the store was still there and that they had something. And interestingly enough, Jerry has been selling estates, of course, and he comes across all very often. He comes across items that have our unusual place stickers on them.
1: <laughs> That's great. Now, what yeah. what company is he working for out there? Give him a little plug.
0: The company is associated with is called Vermillion Land, and it's a uh, real estate brokerage company.
1: And this is Derek. He
0: has his own business. He has his own business on the side, which he calls um, Unusual Sales, and he has a website.
2: If you go to unusualsales.com, he has a a
0: website. And you can look and see what he's got and
1: what he's doing. Well, that's just the greatest plug I think I've heard. You you had the website locked on right then and you know, you were ready to go, Grandpa. That's that's great. Now, as a guy who's ninety years old and you say you have a little trouble with all this internet stuff and different things, you seem to be doing pretty good. You're on uh, Skype. You know what? There's people who are my age that don't even know how to get on skype you're on skype we're talking you have your iphone uh it's it's great to be able to sit down and talk to you eight states away from each other
0: well it is wonderful yes and i enjoy it and i i still keep kind of busy uh for instance uh today well Uh, this is something that I, uh, this is, this is a poster that one, they're, they're going to have a Christmas dinner here. And so for years, every time they have a Christmas dinner, they asked me to make up a, a poster for putting up on the bulletin boards and distributing. So th- this was a poster for, for this year. And then th- this is the, they asked me to make up a menu, um, poster so i made up
1: a menu poster that's great i love the i love the uh the colors that's amazing so now this is for those of you who don't for those of you who don't know my grandfather makes his own cards birthday cards he's on uh photoshop and different things like that and so every year we get great hand you know computer made cards from my grandfather he makes posters he now, do you still tinker around with different things? You know what I need to do is Grandpa, I need to send you a a tattoo machine, and uh, you would i think you would like to tinker around with it it 's basically what a tattoo machine is is the old uh it's it 's an electromagnetic machine, so it 's like the old doorbells you know the doorbells where you 'd press it 's got two coils and and it would ding back and forth with the on the little armature bar so that 's essentially what a what a tattoo machine is. Do you still tinker around with stuff like that you you built you, you repaired clocks for a while and
0: yes and I, when i was when I was fourteen fifteen years old um we built crystal set radios and I had a, a crystal set radio that a guy two doors from me was my best friend, and so we had a crystal set radios, and we had we were able to communicate between the two houses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great that was
0: and, I, and, and to this day I don't remember how I did it, but anyway we did
1: that's that's awesome. so it was a kind of like a little walkie-talkie that you plugged into the wall or it ran on batteries. Or- no,
0: no, we ran on batteries, and uh, we ran it on batteries, and we had wires between.
1: But <laughs> so you had to run, you ran wires out the window to his window? I had to,
0: I tell you what I had to do. I had to, I had to get the wires across our neighbor's yard.
1: <laughs> Did you hide them?
0: And, and that wasn't easy because she wasn't a very nice lady. <laughs>
1: What do you think she would have done to you if, you would, if she would have caught you? I don't
0: know. I, and I don't remember exactly how I, we got it done, but we did. And we had, I, I remember my, my space was underneath the steps going to the basement. And, you know, there's always a, a little space underneath the basement as you have a, going down the basement steps. Well, I had that little space between there blocked off. And that was my little shop.
1: <laughs> wow, that's great. Well, Grandpa, I, I sure do appreciate you coming on and talking with me for for the podcast. I hope to get you on again. Uh, you know, we had talked about maybe getting on once a week in the mornings and, and talking. Uh, hopefully, we can do that. We'll figure out a day. I'm up with the dog anyway, so so maybe I can. We'll figure out a time to talk. And, and well, when and, I
0: when I find you on or or call me on the iPhone.
1: Yeah, I will. We'll, we'll get in touch, yes. and it's two hours ahead there for you. So when I'm up at 7, it's 9 o'clock. And as long as it's not interfering with your pool time. You know, your pool time.
0: Well, you, by the time you get up, I'm probably just about finishing pool.
1: There you go. So let's try to talk I again. Down,
0: I, go, I usually go down at 8.30, and by 10.30, we're all done. And sure. they never play on Saturday or Sunday. So
1: Wonderful. We'll, we'll figure it out, Grandpa. Thank okay. you so much. I love you I'll very see. much.
0: It was nice. Joe, I'm glad that you made a holler, and i look forward to next time.
1: Great. And I'm going to try to scrape together a tattoo machine, and I'm going to send it out to you all in parts, and we'll see if you can put it together.
0: Say hi to Natalie for me.
1: I will. I will. Love you, Grandpa. Talk to you later.
2: Goodbye.